The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, a an episode that might sort of, I suppose, split opinion potentially, because I think it might be splitting opinion for your hosts today. I am one half of that hosting duo, Sai, and with me, as always, but maybe slightly grumpier than usual, is Dan Griffin. How are we, sir? Pissed off, annoyed, okay. arsy, grumpy, because. <laughs> Well, most recently because of internet issues um, that we had just prior to record, and that's that's always fun, isn't it? It's always just before you record yes. and everything goes to shit. And everything that had previously been behaving for weeks decides to just go completely out the window. Oh, it's always the way. Yeah, I love it. and to top it all off, we have to cover one of my least favourite episodes of Doctor Who of all time. Oh. Vampires of Venice. Just, Interesting. <laughs> it, you say it divides opinion. It doesn't divide opinion. You either don't like it or you're wrong. Ah, uh, like that, is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm rocking the mags method today. <laughs> yes, indeed. Today we are looking at Vampires of Venice, the Matt Smith story from 2010. Um, one that I picked purely because of the title, because I couldn't really remember a lot about it when we did our draft episode. And straight away, Dan objected to and moaned about and has moaned about every week so far during our third season. Until now, we get to the <laughs> glorious day where we get to sit down and talk about it. Uh, also, with regards to Vampires of Venice, as mentioned numerous times on the show, I'm going back through New Who uh, with my youngest daughter. And it's we're having like a sort of um, watch along. It's her first time watching. And I'm going back and watching in order for the first time, probably since it aired. And it just so happened that this episode, give or take two, two other episodes of Doctor Who, coincided with when we were going to sit down and record. So I watched this with Charlie present. So I've got a little bit of feedback from her as we go along as well, because I thought we're oh, two grumpy old men. Well, we're two grumpy old men, Dan. Maybe she'll have a different opinion to us altogether. God bless the wide-eyed, naive, positive. Just exuberance of youth, if uh, if she's got uh-huh. positives to give out about this. Um, I am hamming it up a little bit. I will have some positive things to say, but not many. Okie doke. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, the Doctor effectively arrives to take Rory and Amy away. So my romantic, Dan, doesn't he? Now, this beginning made me laugh. Well, I'm glad it made you laugh. Um, because the first thing we see is... Uh, a posh lady on a fancy chair and a bloke uh, selling his daughter, which is a bit odd. Oh, yes, that's um, true, yes. Yeah, he's, well, says selling her. He's, he's giving her away to this school, uh, saying that it offers more prospects than the daughter of a boat builder can have. And, you know, his daughter's his world and he wants what's best for her. And you've got um posh lady in chair saying that preserving the future for offspring is, is the highest priority. 
and then says him says to him to uh, to say goodbye to his world and, and take her away. Um, but this guy, um, I didn't actually catch his name until halfway through the episode. Um, I just kept calling him Salad or Sam, which was the actor's name in Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a bit of that, and there's an, a very sort of creepy circling of young uh, of young Isabella there, who's seventeen, and this this woman and her son Francesco asking if uh, if if he likes her, and he says, "Oh, oh I do, mother." So it's already a little bit sort of Oedipus complexy, mm. um, and uh, they've got some fangs. They have. They have. Got, they've got teeth like every British por- uh, person portrayed in American media. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good sign. I didn't think of that. Uh, I just thought of it now. <laughs> there we go. There we go. The lady in the chair, though, she's very recognisable, isn't she? Is she now? Go on then, film me. It's what if I recognise somebody? Her? She must be. Yeah, the, the, that's. Um, she was in Peaky Blinders and and all sorts, wasn't she? Uh, Charlie recognised her from uh, Harry Potter. Oh yes, she was um, Malfoy's mum. Mm. Is it uh, McCrory? Her surname. I've no idea. I don't. I don't know her name. Um, she wasn't on my. Uh, oh yeah, of all the things, right? She's not on my tropes complex. Uh, co- my, my tropes list because of all the things this this episode could do, it gave me one actor who's been in other episodes of Doctor Who. Okay. That yeah, this lady. Uh, so, so, so I can't even fucking enjoy myself with that. This lady's Helen McCrory. She was in Peaky Blinders. Had a real prominent. Uh, role in that and was in yeah like charlie pointed out to me not not i didn't notice it myself but she was also in um harry potter also oh fair enough here's one little um little split listeners opinions i couldn't get into peaky blinders okay gave it four episodes and, and just didn't didn't do it for me see i really enjoyed it for the first few seasons and then it then just kind of I don't know if I lost interest or it got bad. I'm not sure, but I, mm. yeah, I just kind of stopped watching, and which I never thought I would, with how much I enjoyed the first couple of seasons. We see Rory in in a pub, some you know, few hundred years later after this scene in Venice with the scary toothy lady and her creepy kind of pervy son, and he's <laughs> celebrating his stag day, isn't he? Yeah, and he's been a fucking wet wipe, leaving a voicemail, a drunken voicemail on Amy's phone, saying mm. it's a scandal that he hasn't told her he loves her in seven hours. Um, if even if they weren't getting married tomorrow, he'd ask her to marry him anyway. The fucking goon. Um, and we get a shot of Amy's abandoned wedding dress. Yeah, obviously we should we should mention as well, I suppose, that the previous episode finished with. I, I can't word this in a more subtle way than I, cause I tried to find the words, but I can't, I can't find any more subtle than this. A revved up horny Amy Pond trying to jump the doctor's bones. Yep. Yep. Well, she was I mean, very, you, very keen, wasn't she? You're better than me. I was, I was going to go with wide on, but you know, Okie doke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and she was a uh, relatively, I wouldn't I would say aggressive, but she was very, very keen and forceful for what she wanted there. Yeah, so, yeah I, I quite like that scene, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in an alternative universe, that scene carries on and the Doctor doesn't say no and we need to track down that tape. But we're bad people for even thinking that way. Um, I wouldn't say that, just... <laughs> just... No, anyway, we won't go down that route, or we'll have another six minutes of outtakes. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, 
this leads the doctor to basically panicking a little bit and saying that he needs to take Rory and Amy away somewhere romantic. So he goes to pick Rory up and happens to gate crash his his stag do by bursting out of the cake. He does, and we hear the the sort of the stereotypical da 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 da, da you know, like the saucy stripper music. And in the pub, it, they're in a pub, and the giant fake cakes brought in, and the the stags are all there, just braying out, out, out like a pack of twatty hyenas in the stupid fucking matching shirts that Rory probably made himself. But we get to the one and only trophy. One of the guys at the stag do is played by Andy Jones. And he's sort of one of our uncredited, unsung heroes. Uh, okay. Because from 2006 to 2011, he played, buckle in for this one, an ood, a postman, a monk, a guard, a hoiks, whatever they are, um, an avatar, a young man, a guy at the stag party, uh, a general monster, a jadoon, a soldier, a teleporting guest, and an auton. Why? So 13 roles in five years. Why? That's incredible. That's yeah. that's probably one of the most a condensed amount of appearances we've had. Because we've got these 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 individuals that pop up regularly as villains or bad guys or whatever. But that's a lot in a much shorter period of time than we're used to, I think, Dan, isn't it? It really is, yeah. And and I actually counted wrong. It's um the, this it was 13 roles, but it was across 15 episodes. So he averaged sort of three episodes a year. Why? Fair play to the guy. Yeah, That's brilliant. fair play. Yeah, and I'll give it. Um, I'll give this episode credit just here because this is the first bit of mild amusement in okay. the uh, in the episode as the doctor bursts out of the cake. Everybody's confused, and he says, "That's a relief. I thought I'd burst out of the wrong cake again." And he just waffles on saying, "You know, there's a girl standing outside in a bikini. Could somebody let her in and give her a jumper, Lucy?" Lovely girl, diabetic. It's like we didn't actually need to know that, but it's kind no. of just the doctor waffling on in, in that way that he does at this point, as, as Matt Smith sort of still, well, Matt Smith and the writers are still sort of trying to find this this version of the doctor's voice, as it were. Mm. You know, so it's, it's kind of this sort of lovable befuddlement at times. Yeah, and again, we sort of—I uh, I think we've done it before, haven't we? Drawn comparisons with certain elements of Matt Smith's Doctor and what we've seen from Patrick Triton in some of the episodes we've covered there as well. Yeah, so the Doctor's out the cake. He's done his little speech, and he's about to tell Rory why he's there. The Doctor basically declares they need to talk about his soon-to-be wife because she tried to kiss him, which isn't the thing you want to declare, I think, to a pub full of a. Uh, people on a stag do to the green yeah and his next sentence really does solidify that when he says uh, uh, you're in you're a lucky guy though she's a great kisser um oh. and he does he does the whole <laughs> it sounded better in my head sort of thing and you can see the assembled drunks uh contemplating kicking the living shit out of him mm. yeah it's um it's an odd one and um, it's not exactly the um the most action-packed opening to lead into the the intro uh, the intro credits is it? No, no, it's not. I, I suppose uh, something I'll say about this this episode here is it starts now with what I disliked about the Matt Smith era with Amy and Rory, and that's the Amy and Rory bullshit, as I refer to it as quite often on the show. 
because yeah. as we go through the episode, I'm not sure if we're going to go through bit by bit or, or we're going to jump around, whatever. But as we go through the episode, we do get quite a few moments from Rory where he's just a bit of a sulky bitch. And <laughs> <laughs> on, on one hand, I can understand it because his, his, you know, very, very soon to be wife, as in, in a few hours time, soon to be his wife and the love of his life is off with another bloke all over the world in a, well, all over the universe. Sorry in a tiny little box and he's just arrived at his stag do and says that they've kissed. Now I would go freaking mad. I can understand Rory's standpoint, but he's just a bit of a sulk, isn't he? And it's just like man up a little bit. I, I hate that term. Sorry. I shouldn't have said that, but I don't know. Just, just it, say to the doctor, what the hell rather than sitting there looking sulky at the floor all the damn time. It, it leads to one of my favorite sayings. He needs to either shit or get off the pot. Hmm. Either he's going to chew the doctor out and he's going to absolutely have it out. Might try and hit him. Who knows? Or he's just going to wash his hands of it for good and fuck off. Mm-hmm. But, it, but instead he does neither. He mopes around, sulks around, has a bit of a bitch at Amy, folds very quickly. If he, you know, I'm going to, I could start calling him origami he folds so quickly. <laughs> um, then he has a, a go at the doctor later on, and the doctor calls him out on it. The doctor calls him out on his inconsistencies because one minute he's giving it all you're a danger to people around you and then he's all, we're not leaving you. It's like, mm. you're, you're only saying that because Amy's there. He's, he's a he's a fucking wet wipe, is Rory. Yeah. In, in this, particularly in this, he's such a drip. He just... It, I, don't, I can't fully explain it, but he, he makes... He sort of sets off the same annoyance in my brain as Ross in Friends. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And I can't so, quite tell why, because he's less of a dick than Ross in Friends, but he does this same sulky, mopey, sad puppy shit. Yeah. Yeah, it drives me mad. I, I Honestly, I can't stand it. And to be fair, he's punching. Let's be honest. Oh, God, yeah. You know, and he should just be grateful that she's come back, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the doctor's brought her back. Well, this is true. This is true. At this point, that's all he knows. It's yeah, it's it's incredibly annoying, and it just peppers throughout this, and it's 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 weak writing as well because they've written an unlike an unlikable character at the outset to be one of the main characters in the show. I could understand one intention between the Doctor and Rory, but this isn't the way to do it because mm. Rory's just. Rory's never going to be competition for the Doctor. No. You know, in terms of in terms of the Doctor's got this space box and he's this vastly intelligent alien life form. So Rory's never going to live up to that. Just, it, it didn't... It's, there was a better way to do it, and I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head what it is. No, that's fair enough. I, I, I totally agree. And again, I think this this is a huge part as to why on my initial watch, I didn't enjoy Matt Smith's era, especially this earlier part of it. Cause Amy and Rory got, again, I'm watching it back with Charlie. Now this is what episode five or six or something. Is six. six. Okay. The first couple I, I thought were quite good. As soon as yeah. Rory turns up as more of a prominent character, I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember this now. Yeah. So, so far we've had Matt Smith's first episode, which was kind of fun. We've had the Beast Below, which I thought was very good. Yes. We've had the one with Winston Churchill and the Daleks, which was all right. And we've had 
Was it the the Hungry Earth two parter, or was that after this? That was uh, after this. No, that was after this. The, it I'm was sure the Angels, I... wasn't it? It was the 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 Planet of An- the Angels. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, the, the, and that's quite the Angels two parter. Brilliant. Yeah, really love that. Yeah. And and then we get this turd in the punch bowl. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> uh, well, we had to cover it at some point. May as well get it out of the way early. Um, but the doctors, so they're in the TARDIS. Amy's looking nervous. And the doctor's basically explaining that to be travelling with him, you know, it, for one person to have seen all that, it'll, you know, if only one of them experiences it, it'll, pay, it'll tear them apart. Mm. So he's taking them somewhere together. And it, it, this is a thing he says a, a lot quite early well, th- throughout his run, I think he says it to Clara as well. He says one condition, it has to be amazing. And he'll say, you know, suggest the Moulin Rouge in 1890, the first Olympic Games. And then he says, think of it as a wedding present because it's either this or tokens, by which I, I think he means vouchers. Yeah, I'd have thought about yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then Rory pisses on his chips. Hi, what does Rory say there? Sorry. So did you did you clock this after where he, he, the doctor goes up to Rory to do this whole to do his whole you know it's a lot to take in it's, it's bigger on the inside shtick. Oh yes, of course. And and Rory cuts him off because he's been reading up on latest scientific theories, and the doctor looks proper angry, and yeah. he gets right in his face saying, "I like it when people say it's bigger on the inside. I always look forward to that." And Rory looks like he's going to cry, and I kind of wish he had. Yeah, I mean, it, it made me think <laughs> of a. Uh, I think it's Clara, isn't it? Who in a later episode says it's smaller on the outside. And yeah, the, the, the face going is like, oh, all right. <laughs> it's just like different, but I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they basically head to Venice by the doctor's uh, the doctor's choice, isn't it? Because they're um, and ahhing as to what they want to do. So the doctor decides we've got a Venice because it's supposedly romantic. I, I got a giggle out of him saying that luckily they're 140 years too early for Casanova to have been there because the doctor lost a bet to him and owes him a chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and actually quite, quite a good one about this. If they had done a Matt Smith doctor crossover with Casanova, it would have been a nice return for David Tennant because David Tennant before Doctor Who starred as Casanova in, in the TV series of the same name. Yes. So that I, I'm kind of, a, it's kind of sad that they couldn't, or didn't want to make that happen because obviously Tennant was so recently removed from the show it'd be a bit of a bit of a shitter to say this is what you had before <laughs> yeah yeah that's right uh, we get a little bit of psychic paper goodness don't we as, we as they try to enter the city but we also get I suppose our first hint as to what's going on in Venice other than you know the doctor and uh, and his companions get the first sort of hint to it I suppose because yeah. we're told Venice has been quarantined at the suggestion of their their patron, apparently, which is um, what, what title did she have? Because her surname was Calvieri, wasn't it? Signora Rosanna Calvieri. Okay, so uh, Signora, oh, beautiful so Signora, pronunciation, mate. Signora is just Italian. I, funny, I did two years of Italian at school. Funny enough, you, oh, okay. <laughs> still, I, I remember none of it other than the pronunciation. Um, so Signora is just um, basically Italian for Mrs. Right, our okay. lady, you know, it's um, it's just that. But what I liked about the psychic paper is that the doctor gets referred to as His Holiness, Amy gets referred to as Viscountess, mm-hmm. and then Rory looks at him and quite rightly gets referred to as Amy's eunuch. Yeah, um, <laughs> but there's there's a bit in this though where they're talking about the plague outside of Venice and all of that. Um, 
I won't linger too long on it because obviously it's very recent history, but they, they say bodies piled high due to plague, which was um, looking back as a very sort of chilling implication given recent history and uh, and various comments attributed to former prime ministers. Mm. Yeah, that's what I sent a shudder up my yes. back. Yes. Um, <sighs> Hearing that, but anyway, we get the uh, we get the creepy lasses all dressed in white, holding white parasols, and putting the veils down. Yeah, and uh, we have the the father of Isabella again trying to find his daughter. So obviously, a little bit of time has passed from the opening scene that we saw, and the doctor and his companions now arriving. And he he lifts up one of the veils and gets kind of hissed at by a girl with <laughs> with the funny teeth, doesn't he? She goes all goose on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she goes full goose and hisses him, and he fall, at him and he falls over. I have to ask though, did you did you ever pick up this character's name? Uh, Guido, is it? Yeah, but I don't recall it ever being said. No, um, because I've got my notes here, and I've also gone into like you know various websites and that to ch- check dates and so on, and that's yeah. the name that they've given him. So I've got that literally because I find it elsewhere. Yeah, very bizarre to have an unnamed character be in an episode so often and for so long. Because he mm. pops up right till the very end. Just very yeah, he's, strange. He's a that, constant, isn't he? Yeah, it's very strange that they never actually named him on screen. Yeah, yeah, that is. Odd. Maybe they did, and we just both. No, we wouldn't have both missed it. We're not both rubbish. Just me. I, I, I really wasn't paying that much attention. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my God. After this, after sort of, I suppose, uh, stumbling across this scene, the doctor decides that he should take a look at th- this scenario and go and meet uh, these people and, and to have, a t- have a talk with Rosanna, which, again, is the doctor inserting himself into a bit of local, lo- local, you know, spot of bother, I suppose. But it makes sense. He would be intrigued, I guess. And we get a bit more vampire-ish stuff because we cut to Rosanna hydrating, referring yeah. to herself as mummy is hydrating to her son. Yeah, and this, this is all a bit Oedipusy again, but um, the uh, the one thing I did like when the doctor's asking uh, Guido about everything that's going on is he says that people do all sorts of things to get kids into good school, so why is he trying to get his daughter out? Yes. Which I thought was really good, and then it was a very creepy way because uh, uh, Signora Calvieri is on her knees drinking from this goblet and almost like a like ceremonially. And she sort of falls back in like a state of bliss as he's, as Francesco's coming down these, these stairs talking about being accosted and, and just getting very upset about the whole thing. And then he does, he just sort of flops into a lap. Yeah, that was a bit, which is yeah. pretty creepy. As, as he's saying about, you know, he talks about they're at, the longer they wait, they're at risk of discovery. Surely they've converted enough time to introduce them to his brothers and, and all of this. And it's, you know, it's alluding to some sort of sinister plot. Um, the I will, again, one positive thing I'll praise is I think, um, I, can't, I still can't remember her name, whoever plays Rosanna Calvieri, I think she plays her part beautifully. She is superb. She is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, fantastic actress. And that, she, there are two characters in this that I think are pretty well written, and it's the Doctor and and, and Signora Calvieri. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know when she's there saying, "Let them hammer on our door and beg to be taken," 
and Francesco sat there and he's got he gets up and he's got pet lip on like he's about to have a, the mother of all tantrums. Mm. He's he's got a very slappable face that that lad. He's like a pointy toothed Rory. <laughs> except <laughs> except the spoiled brat version. Yeah, exactly. He's got a thing about his mum rather than his girlfriend who's running off with an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it it is bizarre. And and then then it's funny you mention Rory because the next bit is is Rory just having a bitch fit. Oh, God. He asks her what she's been doing and she starts trying to explain. And, you know, saying she's been running, fighting, been more scared than she's ever. So she's just gone on to like three pretty big things. And then Rory... Did you even miss me? And it's like, uh, did you miss the part with the, about the running and the fighting and the fear? The thing is, as well, timeline-wise, then Rory wouldn't have really been aware of her absence because no. it, she leaves with the doctor the night before her wedding. So that's when Rory, in theory, is out with his stag do because they're talking yeah. about it at the beginning of this episode. And he's still ringing her to say, you know, I haven't told you I love you in seven hours. So to him, it's seven hours since he's spoken to her. Yeah. So why is he being this sulky little bitch boy? Because he's because he knows that she's been gone for longer. Yeah, but uh, I'm sorry. My mind wouldn't. I don't think my I'm mind. Not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not condoning it. <laughs> you know, it's that thing of. I don't think unless you're actually doing the traveling, and again, I could be completely wrong, but. Unless you're actually doing the travelling, I don't think your mind can comprehend that scenario where asking the question, did you miss me? But in your head, it's seven hours. And that's the reality. That's that's your reality, the seven hours. I don't think you could fully comprehend it not being seven hours and and properly understanding the reality of what Amy has done. Because it's a completely different scenario. this, This is my problem. Because I can just about get my head round somebody turning up and saying I, I've been I've been doing X Y Z, you know, say it's been two weeks, mm-hmm. but for me it's been seven hours. I can I can split that in my mind. My thought wouldn't be, did you miss me? My thought was, holy shit, are you all right? Yeah, and we're in Venice, and there's vampires. Yeah. And it's just like he has this this sort of self obsession and fear of uh, just abject fear of losing Amy, and I can you know I, I can kind of get it, but at the same time it it just I can't fully comprehend it if you know what I mean like that this sort of selfishness where he has to make himself essentially make himself a victim. Mm. Where it's like, she okay. She tried to kiss the doctor. He's then come straight to you. I'm not saying you got to be happy about it, but surely your initial thought is going to be curiosity and and making sure the woman you love is okay. Rather than and then you can be then you can have a bit of a self absorbed whinge about it when all that's settled in. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm being harsh on Rory because I just don't like the character. No, I don't think you are. I think you're being spot on because, and to me, I think it's I think it's a bit of a 
maybe not plot hole, that's probably too strong a term, but it's a bit of an issue with the writing for me because I, I don't know if they're trying to make us dislike Rory, which I don't think they would be. Why would they want us to dislike this character? So in my head then, they must be trying to make us sympathetic towards him because of what's happened. But they're going about it in such a way that I can't stand the dude. Yeah, potentially. And I think as well, they were trying to split, sprinkle in some conflict with the Doctor. Mm. Um, because, you know, well, it, it, we'll get to it, but Amy says it at the end, you know, when everybody's finally getting along, she, you know, she's, she says, I've got my spaceship, I've got my boys. And it's like the, the one person who's got what she wanted out of all this is Amy. Yes. Really? Which, you know, whatever, that's fine. Everybody's cool with it. Mm. Go nuts. Has she? Has she, though? Because she says she's okay with Rory travelling with them at the end. And again, we're jumping around now, aren't we? But it, it seems to be yeah. this conversation's going to head. Uh, she she is okay with Rory travelling with them in the end. Well, she says so. But we've also seen signs previous that she's not happy when Rory's around. Because she wants to be with the Doctor. Yeah... I don't know. I think it was a moment of madness and, and kind of. I think there's a truth to what the doctor says later on when he says that she tried to kiss him because he was there. And he's, you know, he's, he's sort of big and impressive and they've just survived several near death experiences. Mm, yeah. There, there'll be an element of that of getting sort of washed away. In, and, you know, this kind of makes sense being washed away in the magnificence of the doctor. You, you yeah. meet someone who can take you to these places, show you these things. You've gone through this danger and the adrenaline and whatever. You could, I could easily see anybody falling for the doctor pretty hard. Oh, okay. And pretty yeah. quick. Um, so, yeah, but as, as the whole sort of writing a Rory thing is, I think they were, again, they were trying to find the voice for the character. The, because the doctor is all action and, and, and all smarts and whatnot, they needed a, counter, a counterpoint to that. So rather than focusing on Rory as the sort of the conscience and, and the healer that he, that because he's a nurse as well, that he ultimately, mm. and, and that's kind of what he ultimately became in, in later episodes and later seasons. He was kind of the conscience side of things and, and the healing aspect. He was always more concerned with, with, you know, healing the injured than, than stopping the, the big bad potentially. Um, yeah. I think it's just struggling to, as much as they're trying to find the doctor's voice, they're still trying to find Rory's as well at this point. It's it's just not quite coming together. I suppose you could class it as as sort of a character arc throughout the his time with the show, in that he does improve and he does get better and he, he does change as a person. Yeah, I guess. I wonder in, in in which order these were filmed then, because they're not filmed in the order they air, especially yeah. with New Who. Because being standalone stories, from from what I've read up and, and listening to. Uh, well, that's another thing as well. I've been spending a lot of time in the last two, since I've been allowed headphones at work. I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts, a lot of podcasts that feature yourself, Dan, and, mm, and other people from our from our little circle. And I've also eventually like, listened to a few other Doctor Who podcasts because I, I just enjoy listening to people talk Doctor Who. First mm. of all, um, numerous episodes of several different podcasts, not a single knob joke. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a tear, Sarah Jane. Um, (laughs) not again not again no 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 uh but also no reading and listening and so on especially in in new who the research dictates that they're not filmed in the order that they are and especially the first couple of episodes with a doctor Mm. because they want the first couple of episodes of a new doctor for the actor to be bedded into the character 
So they often film, especially the first episode where a doctor, uh, a a new doctor arrives. They normally film that quite late so that the new doctor is already comfortable in that character and knows how to act and how to behave and so on. So I wonder how early or late this was filmed in the run. If this was filmed very early on in their actual order of filming, then I can understand some of it. But at the same time, if it's filmed later on, I I, I don't know. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from because it's... And I think, again, it might be the writing or the directing or a bit of both. The... Rory in particular feels such a disjointed character. Because even Mm. in this bit that we've just been saying about one minute he's all sulky and and, and all about himself. And then as soon as it says Amy Amy asks him not to spoil it, he just changes quickly. He just goes along with it. Just Mm. like instantly. He's like, yeah, we're in Venice, woo. And it's just like, you haven't let this go really, have you? Disingenuous. Yeah, very fickle, disingenuous sulky knobhead uh, yeah and then they run into Francesco yeah see this scene the ending of this particular scene especially I didn't mind and I thought it was quite clever because Francesco is effectively uh, he's he's drinking the blood of a flower girl he follows her down an alley gives her a bit of a nip on the neck and she screams Amy and Rory run towards the scream whilst Amy looks sorry whilst Rory looks after the uh, the bitten girl, I guess, which again goes back to your your point about him being the nurse and the caring side of things. Amy chases Francesco and comes out of this doorway or this alleyway or, the, or this passageway and the land effectively just stops because there's, you know, there's the water and where has he gone? And then she's being looked at from under the water. So straight away, I'm thinking, okay, that was quite, that was quite good. That was quite clever. Yeah, I'll, I'll give that again. I, I'm trying to be as unbiased as I can and give stuff credit where it's due. Um, the underwater camera angle also felt very classic Who to me, but in a good way. Yeah. Because, you know, we'd often see point, you know, point of view shots from the, the alien's point of view or the creature's point of view, whatever. So I, I, I did like that. Um, and, yeah, it, it wasn't bad. It's the, the dramatic flourish with which Francesco exited as he was trying to hide his fangs from them both was, um, was, a, was a bit much. Um, but that's, <laughs> to me, that's very, that's very sort of hammer horror, old school, black and white, maybe really campy yeah. in a way, vampire hiding behind the cape and whooshing it around. And uh, all right, that. Yeah. You, you, you told know? me around to it. You told me around to it. I'll let that go. I'll let that go. I'm not saying it was great, <laughs> but I could but I could kind of see what maybe they were trying to do. And also, I was just thinking, if I actually had a cape, I I would probably do that all the time. Oh, mate! If 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 I had a cape, it'd be like swoosh central. I wouldn't stop. I'd, I'd probably say I'm Batman about seventeen times a day. <laughs> I would just swoosh, whoosh, whoosh, yeah. you know? and obviously I'm, nobody I'm, can. Not the warehouse floor, just whoosh, whoosh. Yeah, nobody can see this because obviously it's an audio recording. And for the sake of our, our uh, issues internet-wise today, because you know the weather and, and various other problems, I am actually sat here with my arms going whoosh, 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 exactly like yeah. <laughs> my goodness, I turn, um, I turn my camera on and risk the internet just for that guy. <laughs> Which nobody else will see. It's just you and me. Oh, it's uh, all for you, mate. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Yeah. The, um, 
the doctor's on a mission though isn't he to go and have a little chat with rosanna so he uses our unnamed friend guido to <laughs> be a distraction he screams and shouts at the door and the guards and yells about going in to see his daughter isabella whilst the doctor just sneaks by and nips into the to their building doesn't he dan yeah a bit of sonic screwdriver magic which he hides in his in the palm of his hand but he has his palm turned facing outwards from the building. So mm. it's like he's trying to hide it from people viewing it, but they still have to show us on the, on the TV. Right. So it just ultimately okay. makes kind of no, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me that, but anyway, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a sonic screwdriver and I'm just nitpicking because I don't like this episode. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what, one thing that was quite amusing was that the doctors, he's, he's obviously still getting used to his new face because he's, he starts admiring himself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. In sort of like in one of the lower levels, and then suddenly there's five five girls behind him, all very creepily asking who he is in unison. Yeah, and he does this brilliant double take, realizing there's no reflection, which is a, a great a classic vampire trope. Yes, and he look and he's like and he's like he's it's the sort of the excitable side, the childish side of Matt Smith's Doctor, where he said, "However you do it, I'm loving it." And he said, and he comes out with something like, "You're like Houdini, only five scary girls, only he was shorter, will be shorter." I'm rambling. <laughs> See, that was good. I like that. And the and the the girls appearing behind him. And again, I'm sat with Charlie at this point, so I'm keeping an eye on her to see how mm. she's reacting to this. And when they appeared behind her, she was a bit like, "Oh God!" She didn't jump, but she was a bit like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, Instantly, someone, the mood changes, doesn't it? Yeah, someone's going down here. Yes. Um, they ask again who he is, and he goes to get out the psychic paper. Um, did you clock what he actually pulled out? Well, they said it was a library card, didn't they? And it had William Hartnell's face on it, which I thought was yeah. brilliant. I love it was a, stuff it, like that. It was a lovely touch. And he, he's you know, he's sort of berating himself and saying, oh, it's with, oh, I've got to get to. Got to get to him. And he's he sort of has this moment where he's deducing that they're probably vampires without saying vampires. Mm. And started, and they they threaten to call the steward if he's lucky. Yeah, and the fans come out. They just let him walk off. Yeah, that, there's a lot of that in this episode, and that is, I, mean, I, I don't think I dislike this as much as you do. That I still have quite a few problems with it, but at the same time, there's a lot of moments I did really like the way that the doctor, and again, jumping around in the story a little bit, I guess the way that the doctor at times almost feels like he can just you know, come and go as he pleases into yeah. the the, vam- the vampire layer, I guess, for want of a better term, doesn't quite sit right with me because there are opportunities where they can just get rid of him and they don't. Plenty that of is a bit of a plot hole for me. Yeah, but it, 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 and this is part of, this is part of one, well, one of my many problems with it. It's just, it, it does a lot because the plot needs it to. Mm. So... You know, it's like this, this, and that, but this happens. Uh, and then we're going to have a big showdown and, and face off and, and sort of talk a bit with the doctor and, and, and Signora Cal- uh, Calvieri. How, how did he get there? How did he get in? Uh, reasons he's the doctor, he's good. Well, this is it. Yeah, it's it's just, it's not good. Despite how well um, Signora Cal- uh, Calvieri's played, I just the villains themselves and the creatures, they're neither scary nor compelling for me. Mm. Uh, the backstory is interesting, but it only comes in right at the very end. Now I understand narratively why they couldn't do that sooner. It was supposed to be a big reveal. And it does tie in with wider 
context of the series. But that doesn't make it good. It's so much of it is ju- it's just bland. It, it makes the mistake of being eh. like the, the worst thing. The worst thing a rest, the worst thing a wrestler can do is walk out to crickets. Yeah, is, is, is garner no reaction. And I part of the reason I dislike this. So this is slightly contradictory. But part of the reason I end up disliking this so much and finding it is because I find it ultimately a bit boring. Okay. And it, it's just, there's no, apart from the odd little bit, you know, the, when I say, we say when it's good, it's very good. When it's bad, it's shit. I'd almost rather have that uh, than when it's good, it's all right. And when, yeah. it's, when it's bad, it's utter shit. But the majority of it's just meh. Yeah, no, I, I get your point. I, I fully understand. Um, you speak about the, the characters and the villains and so on. The, the the vampires themselves, then, not the main characters, not the mum and her son, but the vampire girls, the 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 late the, the young girls that have been taken yeah. into the school and converted and so on. I think that's really well done, and I think it's done again, almost harking back to the old classic vampire. Uh, stories and so on because they have the long flowing white night dresses on they have the hair of the time and the added moments of them all moving simultaneously and talking simultaneously that's just creepy whether they're vampires or not so i think that is really well done the scene that we just explained as well the doctor looking in the mirror looking back again looking in the mirror looking back again that was one that charlie sort of sat forward a little bit for and went oh because she's twigging yeah as things are happening now uh, so so that was quite interesting for me as well. And also, uh, the blonde vampire is freaking gorgeous. <laughs> oh, oh sorry. She was the star of the show for me, mate. I wish she was a companion. <laughs> you know these girls are supposed to be like 16, 17, right? Oh dear, I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually have I actually have no basis for that other than the fact that Isabella when she's given away by Guido, he says that she's 17. Uh, okay. Well, I looked through the uh, cast list on this, and there is nobody younger than 20-ish. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's all right then. But yeah, yeah I, just, I, I wanted to put the shits on me for a second. <laughs> um, but the thing is, yes, th- th- there are bits, like I said, I'll be fair where, I'll be fair where it's due. There are bits in this that, that, that sort of hit the spot in terms of being similar to classic horror, but yeah. it, it, it falls foul of the same trap that the movie uh, Mama did, which is the most recent example I can think of. The movie Mama is, is a ghost story. Basically these two kids get taken and it's, it's a, you know, it's a ghost. It's a, like a, a vengeful ghost story and all this. But as soon as you see the true form of the ghost, mm-hmm. it, the, the fear and the scares stop dead. It's ah, not scary. It, it's not scary anymore because it looks shit, and it that puts is a spot on. It, it puts a damper on the whole thing. I really enjoyed Mama when I first watched. it. I watched it in the cinema, terrified me, and then I came out with it like, oh god, that ending just kind of, uh, just kind of fucked it for me. And then I, I went and watched it on DVD when it came out on DVD. Really enjoyed it again. I thought, oh yeah, these were the bits I loved. I wonder if the ending's still what I remember it being. Like, oh yeah, it is. 
and I've never watched it since. If it had had a better ending, I'd be look, you'd be looking at an all-time classic. I'm not saying this Vampires of Venice and V is on all-time classic level, but if they'd had a better looking, you know, had better looking monsters, if they'd had a slight, you know, if they'd had a bit of a less messy backstory, if they'd just been a bit less waffling on. Because in 45 minutes, a lot of people say a lot of things in this. Yep. There's a lot of long verbal exchanges. And some of it's decent dialogue. But it says a lot without doing a lot. Mm. If you know what I mean. It's it's, yeah. it's, t- it's, tell don't, it's tell don't show rather than show don't tell. And I, personally, I always prefer the, the latter. I, I like to see things play out in a TV show rather than being told, here's what it is. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No, I, can, I can appreciate that. Now, again, jumping around the story a little bit, I suppose you mentioned there the reveal of the the aliens, the bad guys, whatever, and, and linking it to a, a film that had a similar disappointment, which I got no, you know, reference point for. Because believe it or not, people, I've not seen. I ain't seen that. that. <laughs> I ain't seen that. Um, <laughs> but this is where again I can use charlie as a potential uh sounding board because mm. after this episode knowing that we were going to review it the following day i, I literally watched it with her you know sort of yesterday afternoon i asked her a few questions and one of them was about the the villains in this serial and she said a lot that i think backs up what you've just said dan but in almost 12 year old mindset i guess in, in not a grumpy bastard mindset <laughs> <laughs> well potentially um she's she says vampires are always creepy and she says it doesn't matter what they're in vampires are always creepy because of what they are yep but when they weren't vampires anymore it wasn't as creepy which again is you know the sort of simplicity uh, and and worded a lot more sort of to the point I guess than how we're breaking things down. But even my twelve year old girl who has never seen this before and at the moment is loving Doctor Who. She is just taking anything in she possibly can. I mean Sharon was uh, Sharon, my wife and, and Charlie's uh, mum was speaking with the grandparents today because they were asking what the kids want for Christmas. All Charlie wants is Doctor Who stuff. Brilliant. That's how invested she is, right? And even she's turning around at the end of this and going, I really liked it. The, uh, she's getting on board with Matt Smith now. She says she still misses David Tennant, but she's getting yeah. on board with Matt Smith. And she said she's enjoyed it all so far. But we watched this straight after the Angels two-parter. Yeah. And she said it wasn't as good as that because the Angels are creepy all the way through. And she's spot on. Yes. She's absolutely spot on. Once once the vampires stop being, you know, as we know them, blood-sucking vampires and become fish-headed, prawn-bodied, moist suckers. Um, yeah, they're just... And, they're, and it's one of these situations where the CGI hasn't aged particularly well. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, what is it, 12, 13 years of age, maybe, this programme? 11 years ago, this. Okay. Yeah, so it, don't get me wrong, it's not, not the worst... Not the worst thing in the world, but it, again, the, I think the design of them and the backs, it was all a bit too intricate. It's one of those where maybe sometimes less would have been more. I'll tell you what, again, I apologise if people get bored of me mentioning this, but it just worked out so well that they crossed over with my watch back. Charlie, again, backs up what you're saying. 
because you know the the running themes in Doctor Who. So we have the bad wolf and so on. Yeah, and then we have the um, Mr. Saxon notes and throat mentions and so on, right? Yeah. Obviously, in this, the the crack in the wall or the crack in the universe or whatever is the running theme. Now, Charlie's looking out for this shit because she's watched enough of this now to know that there's going to be these running themes. So she's keeping an eye out for this stuff. After the episode finished, I had to explain to her that these came through the crack in the universe. Yeah. And she's, oh, so it links back to all the other stuff. She didn't get that herself. And she is literally, like I said, just soaking in everything on screen because she is so fanatical about it. So it, I think it, Charlie, again, backs up your point, Dan, with it being so almost convoluted in a way. It's convoluted, but also they, 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 they verbalize it rather than rather than showing you what happened. Yeah. They have, and I, and I understand the cat, you know, you can't, it's a lot of money to, to plug in a flashback of these fish creatures falling through a cracking time. It would be a bit much to do, but they go through sentences and sentences of, of what happened and the reference cracks in the universe and through some, they saw X and through some, they saw Y and, and all the rest of it. And then not to jump too far in, but right at the very end, they allude to another crack in the, in reality. And it, the, the end of the episode is zooming in on the, on the keyhole of the TARDIS. Uh-huh. But, but you don't see a crack anywhere. You know, all it would have taken is a tiny little crack in, in the brass of the, of the Yale lock to signify. And then you get it, it hammer it home. But instead it zooms in and it goes straight into the end credits and the, and, and the vortex and whatnot. So again, it, it, there's, Another of the frustrating things is there is potential in this script. Yeah, there's there's potential in this story, and it just missed so many marks. And I feel like it just tried to do too much. And and, you know, I was going to save this until the very end, but I feel I feel like it's relevant to what we're talking to uh, talking about now. Um, I mentioned to you uh, just in in messaging before the show that I found out something interesting about the writing of this show, and it's actually to do with with the writer himself. Um, because we're, we're making all these criticisms of the episode and how certain bits miss the mark and how certain characters are written maybe not so well and others are written well. Well, the, the writer's name was Toby Whithouse, and it turns out he's written a fair few episodes of Doctor Who. Uh, he wrote School Reunion, which was the return of Sarah Jane and K-9 with David Tennant. Okay. Which I which I quite enjoy. Yeah. Um despite my thoughts on K9, it, you know, it, it was a nice little throwback at the time. He wrote A Town Called Mercy, which came after this. It's a, um, it, it, it's one sort of, it, it's set in an old West town and there's a, there's an alien um, hunter and, and all the rest. It's, it's, it's okay. It's a decent episode. Um, Toby Whithouse wrote the two-parter Under the Lake and Before the Flood, uh, which was a Peter Capaldi two-parter in 2015. And this was actually pretty good. It was about um, underwater ghosts, and it was the one that um, Corey Taylor did the uh, did the raw for the villain. Right. Um, but that, again, that was a good two-parter, very cleverly done. Um, See that again? I can remember Corey Taylor being in it, but I can't remember anything about it. But that's so much of Matt Smith's era is like that for me, mate. Well, this was Capaldi. Oh shit! Okay, so, yeah, I don't, so, don't remember so, that then. <laughs> so, 
And, and then also for Capaldi, he wrote an episode called Lie of the Land, which was part of the three-parter where these monks turn up and, and rewrite human history completely, um, which, again, was a, was a good part of a, of a cracking three-part story. So he's written all this stuff that's so much better than this. But the one that really got me, and long-time listeners of the show will know why this is so significant to me. So Vampires of Venice is one of the episodes I like the least. And it's, like I say, we've criticised the writing quite a lot. The one episode I've left off this list, and it's from this series, from a few episodes after this, and it's God Complex. Which I have re- which I have referenced as one of my favourite episodes of Doctor Who ever, and I think yeah, it's an underappre- it's an underappreciated gem. It's um, I don't want to spoil it because you'll be getting to it in a couple of episodes with mm-hmm. uh, with Charlie. It's the, the the writing is chalk and cheese. God Complex is clever. It's subtle in places. It has one of the best side characters in all of Doctor Who. You know the type of side character we always say we want to see more of? Yeah. And that would have made a great companion. There's a side character in this that would have made a great companion. The only downside is David Walliams plays one of the side characters and you can tell it's just David Walliams in, in weird makeup. Oh, okay. I remember I remember David Walliams being in Doctor Who, but I couldn't tell you what episode... I couldn't even tell you who the Doctor was. So that's how good my memory yeah. is on the, on this particular period of the show. And it's just amazing to me that he... that, that Toby Whithouse wrote God Complex... And all these other good episodes, and then and then shout out vampires of Venice. Yeah, no, I get it. It it, it honestly blew my mind when I realised it, and, and I was only scouting around because I only had the one uh, the one actor who'd been in anything else, mm. and I just stumbled onto that, and I've just the breadth of the man's work. Let's just say that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we um, obviously for for another show on the network, uh, Morty, our good friend Morty, who's been on the Doctor Who pod previously, and I are looking back at a BBC drama called Murder in Mind, and mm-hmm. this was created by a guy called Anthony Horowitz, and he doesn't just create the show; he wrote a, a good chunk of the episodes. I'd, I'd probably say over half. I'm assuming mm-hmm. uh, they had like a 22, 23, maybe twenty-five um, episode run over three seasons. This program. We're already a handful of episodes in. The first episode was written by the show's creator, Mr. Horowitz, and it's bloody fantastic. The third episode is also written by the same guy, and I thought it sucked. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought that was that was interesting and worth mentioning because um just because one episode's that I just cause I can regard regard one episode as as a as a bit crap doesn't mean that there's that there's not brilliance in uh, in the person behind it yeah yeah definitely definitely uh, we basically have a, a plan forming don't we with the doctor and uh, amy and rory and guido yeah and now this i i understand that the scenarios where companions put themselves in difficult situations for the sake of the doctor or for the sake of others. I get that. But I think the stakes here from what we've already been shown are so insanely high that I don't think the doctor in any other guys would go for this. I don't think that would happen. I think that ultimately they don't know what happens when the door shuts. They don't know if they could could be turned into a vampire 30 seconds afterwards. Couldn't they? 
They could, but you also you do see the Doctor struggle with it because the Doctor drastically tries to find another way around, tries to find a better way or an alternative way just so that Amy doesn't have to go in there. And he mm. keeps shooting it down, but Amy's insistent. She's she's quite arrogant, actually, in, in this is Amy at this point because she's saying, you know, I'll be in there for what, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, as if it's all going to go swimmingly and she's not walking into what, as far as they know, is a nest of vampires. Yes. And it, it's very it's very brash, very cocky, um, but it is ultimately the only way to do it because the only people they accept are, are young women. They're, they're not going to ask a stranger to do it because you can't trust a stranger to enact the plan. Mm-hmm. So just logically, I think... I think any version of the Doctor would go for it. Mm, Because it's the only way. And the the bit that was unnecessary for me was when they were trying to figure out who'd go in, who'd sort of give her away, as it were. And, you know, she's shooting down the Doctor being a brother because it'd be weird. And then says that Rory can be a brother. And then you've got the sort of the added, just the added slap in the face for Rory when uh, when Guido says he thought the Doctor was Amy's (laughs) fiancé. See... I think that in my head, my my opinion first is this was another attempt to put a little bit of a wedge between the or conflict, as, as you brilliantly word it, Dan, between the Doctor and Rory, with Amy kind of stuck in the middle. Mm. But I think it kind of missed the mark with what they were going for because it's quite obvious what they were going for. I think in this scene, with the the comparisons between the two and the outsider from the group Guido making those statements and so on. And I was like, no, that didn't quite hit for me. But Charlie next to me was roaring with laughter. She thought it was hysterical. So maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i in the wrong. Uh, and, you know, th- these are fresh eyes and ears on this this show. And this bit, Charlie found very, very funny. So I, I don't know, mate. I, f- I found the delivery from Guido quite funny. And then Matt, and sort of Matt Smith just very sort of exasperated, said not helping. Mm. Um, that, that was amusing. Um and I, I, but I like the way this whole exchange ends, where Rory's pitching a fit, saying, the vampire's for God's sake. And and the Doctor just quite sinisterly says, we hope. Yeah. Then he says, if they're not vampires, makes you wonder what could be so bad it doesn't actually mind us thinking it's a vampire. Which, Which is, is a brilliant touch. Yeah, it's a nice bit of doubt in the, in, in the viewer's mind. That was... But again, it, it's kind of the direction of its a little bit off because rather than leave it tense, they were trying to add levity to the thing by having Matt Smith took his top lip up and expose his teeth. You know, in the the stereotypical, I want to suck your blood sort of thing. It's like just out of, again, it's maybe nitpicky, but leave it creepy, leave it tense. Yeah. No, no, I get you on that one. Because there's enough stupid shit right after this. Well, okay, before we get to more stupid shit then, there's a couple of bits with regards to the vampires themselves that doesn't quite work on the premise of them being vampires. Yeah. But going by the old folklore and all this sort of stuff. And I'm willing to, and I'm going to coin a, a wrestling phrase here, I'm going to use a wrestling term in the show, because you know both of us are big wrestling fans. I'm quite willing to suspend disbelief. So when I noticed a couple of things that weren't quite accurate with regards to them being vampires, I just blanked it out of my mind to try and enjoy the show. I don't know if we're supposed to notice these and it's foreshadowing what happens later because they're not actually 
properly full-fledged vampires. But Charlie was very quick to point out the teeth are wrong, which yeah. I thought was quite a, quite a big observation for a for a twelve-year-old. And then why isn't the sun burning them up and killing them? Now they do react to the sun, and they explain that away partially later on. But they don't at the time. We watching here, you know, sat up upstairs in in my house watching me and my daughter. We're under the impression at this point in the episode they are still vampires. But Charlie's already asking these questions. Now, do you think this is put in there to foreshadow what we have at the end of the program, which is already making my, my daughter guess at the origin of these? Are, are they really vampires or not? Or do you think this is just maybe another case of it had to operate that way because reasons, because the plots needed it? I can explain it away like this. Um, it maybe was foreshadowing. That's I think that's... You can argue the toss on that either way. The only people who know it are the people that wrote it. Okay. Or the person that wrote it. But with the girls, the sunlight does hurt them. At this point, are they fully converted? Because shortly after this, when Amy's talking to Isabella, she says she gets taken to a room with a green light. She gets strapped to a chair and then she wakes up in bed and the sunlight burns her skin as if it's happening every night and getting worse and worse. So okay. as far so as far as as far as the, the girls that are taken are concerned, they're potentially in the conversion process. They're not oh. fully they're not fully cooked yet, if you like. As for Francesco and uh, Rosanna, when do we ever see them in full sunlight? Because we always we see Francesco in covered over parts of the city. We see Signora Calvieri in doors. Francesco uses always has a wide-brimmed hat on mm-hmm. a lot of the time, blocking the sun, and or, or he's underwater. So you don't actually see them in direct sunlight very often. And the one time you do see Francesco exposed to direct sunlight, he goes boom. Yeah, and, it, okay. and in fact, it's not even just sunlight; it's concentrated sunlight because Amy's reflecting it off the uh, off the mirror, which is, in essence, how you make a laser. Mm-hmm. You're concentrating the light, therefore, it's more intense. It's it's this it's the equivalent of burning an ant with a magnifying glass. <laughs> yeah, just a big space ant. Um- <laughs> a, a, big, a big fishy space ant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they go forth with this plan with um, Rory acting as Amy's brother. And they use the psychic paper to effectively try and convince them that they have references from the King of Sweden, which, you know, piques the interest of the, the vampire or fake vampires, as it may be. And I have to say here, in this bit where Rory's delivering this stammering, imbecilic bullshit... It takes a good actor to look like such a bad actor. Yeah. And because I do like Arthur Darville, I've seen him in other stuff. Um, he is very good. Um, but this is the first point where I sort of looked at it in this and thought, so I, I allowed myself to step back from the Rory character and said, you know what? He's actually, he's done a, he's done a good job with not a lot there. Hmm. And yeah. then we get more, huh. then we, we also get, as I take Amy away, we get the worst line of dialogue possibly in the whole show, um, tell Uncle Doctor I'll see you both pretty soon. 
And I know what they were going for. Amy's supposed to be panicking and not being able to get her words out, but it, it just it just hits me wrong every single time. The bit I took away from that as well is, and again, it's done for, I, I suppose, that sinister effect, that kind of scary, almost angel-like effort, because we see the villain. We see the bad guy. In previous episodes, we see the angel has moved behind someone before mm. they realize. And we get a similar kind of shot here. We're looking at Amy, effectively from Rory's standpoint, I suppose, back into this this grand hall. And uh, Francesco behind her bears his teeth as Rory is being escorted away and the door is shut. Mm. Now, that there, again, we've got no, we've got no real what we have, but the, the doctor uh, and uh, Amy and Rory and everyone else involved in this little sort of um, adventure, this little mission still have no real bearing as to what happens once that door is shut. Mm. They don't, they might have ideas, they might have, but they've got no real clue. Rory has just seen his, his soon to be wife, the lady he he adores, this, 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 this woman he loves standing there unaware that two yards behind her, there is somebody bearing these vampire teeth. The door shuts, and yeah, he shouts Amy's name, but that's kind of it. Yeah. If you if you have your eyes opened to that moment, I think everything that the plan has been devised to be goes out the window because you naturally react to what you have just seen. But he kind of just goes, "Amy, ah, uh, okay, door shut now." Guess I'll do the plan. Yeah, that bit again, didn't it, work. It, but it, it's again, it's like Rory pulling a 180 when he's having a when he's having a sulking fit and then just being excited to be in Venice. Mm. He does it again here. He just goes along with the plan. He does a 180 with the doctor, you know, saying, no, we're here to, we're here to, we're not going until you leave or whatever it was. He's, he's just so quick to change his mind with any given situation or to not follow a logical course. And I, I think it is, to a degree, the, the plot needing him to. You know, I think this is the character that it falls upon, which is one of the reasons why he becomes such a bloody drip and so unlikable. Okay, so with regards to that then, the Rory character, my thoughts on this are, are probably pretty well known to people who listen to the show and to yourself, Dan. It may change as I'm watching back with Charlie and watching it in order and in, I suppose in quicker succession than what I would have watched it when it first aired. But my mind looking back now in 2022 and this aired in 2010 2011 whatever whatever it may well be i don't like the character of rory and the whole rory amy bullshit as i constantly refer to it as mm-hmm. takes away from the matt smith era for me you are familiar a little bit more with shall we say doctor who twitter because you talked to me about it before we started this project uh, those seasons ago what do you think is the general consensus on the Rory character itself. Am I accurate with the general belief or is it I think you're over um I think you're overestimating my uh, my, my knowledge of Doctor Who Twitter, particularly in recent times. Um, okay. but I think so certainly amongst uh, amongst my friends and the people I know who like Doctor Who, uh, the universal opinion is that Rory is a spare part. He's uh-huh. he's a bit of a drip. He he has his uses on occasion, you know. Like by the end of this series, he's uh, 
he's an he's an Auton soldier with a gun for a hand standing guard outside the Pandorica for two thousand years. That's pretty badass. Mm. You know, and then the next and then the series comes along again and he's dressed as because he was a Roman he was a Roman soldier and he's using that to intimidate Cybermen and shit like that. So he does have a point throughout bits of it. But yeah, he's no matter how much cool stuff he does he always goes back to being a bit of a simp, you know, and being a bit of a non-entity and just being a bit there. You know what I mean? He's just, oh. and, and again, there's always the, the he, he quite often pulls this bullshit about loving, well, we saw it in the uh, Asylum of the Daleks, assuming that he loves Amy more than she loves him and, and stuff like that. It's just, it's a very odd relationship. Yeah, very needy on his part, and I think very controlling on hers, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, because there are times when you do almost feel bad for Rory. There are, you know, you, you can I can see how, you know, he spends 2,000 years stood outside a box guarding her. And and we saw it in, in Asylum of the Daleks. You know, she, she then divorces him. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because she couldn't have children. But they'd never actually. But she never actually thought to talk that through with him. Mm, again, that didn't make sense. Yeah, it's just it's a bizarre relationship. I mean, ultimately, they they get zapped by the angels together, and oh, sorry, spoiler alert, but that's coming up. Um, <laughs> for for you watch along with Charlie. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, sorry, it's going to be a couple of weeks. You'll have forgotten. Yeah. Um, and you know, ultimately, Amy does choose Rory, and, and it, it's a running theme. No matter what gets thrown in their way, she always chooses Rory. Um, an episode that'd be very interesting f- uh, from my point of view to watch with you uh, will be uh, the girl who waited. Um, okay, which is one where effectively the Doctor and Rory have to team up to save Amy, and she's caught in a in a time stream that's going much quicker than. Um, Sorry, they're kind of time stream that's going, you know, for, for like a, every second that passes in their time, it's a few hours in Amy's. Right. So she's aging and getting older as they're trying to rescue her. And it's her waiting around for them instead of right, instead of the other way around. Hmm. That's uh, so that'll be interesting to see from your point of view. But yeah, um, as far as sort of anecdotally from people I know who watch the show, Rory's just Rory's one of the less well-liked companions, let's say. Yeah, okay. So I'm not far off the mark now. <laughs> no, sorry. That, that, was a, that, was a very, that was a very roundabout way of, uh, of answering the question. I got, I got lost in, I got lost no, in the sound of my own voice. <laughs> um, I suppose with regards to what happens here on in, there's, there's some points we need to touch upon, but the story kind of takes up more of a... I wouldn't say predictable turn, but once we get the big reveal that these aren't vampires, they're kind of scaly fish dudes or dudettes as it may well be. (laughs) (laughs) Then it kind of just races towards the end. I think Dan, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've touched on, on some of this on quite a lot of the stuff me now. So I'll just run, I'll just go through it really quickly. Yeah. please. Amy's in there. We've already spoken about, I've already spoken about her speaking to Isabella um, and getting an insight into the process of what they go through. Um, Rory, the Doctor, and Guido are coming up on the gondola. Rory has a snap at the Doctor when the Doctor tells him Amy will be fine. 
we see a skeletal hand poking out of a chest as Amy's skulking through the house. And it's all the, the, essentially Amy sneaking about. The Doctor and Rory are sneaking in and, and they're going to meet in the middle because Amy looks to unlock the house, uh, unlock the hatch. Sorry, and she gets caught by Carlo. We get the bit that I mentioned before about this is because this is the moment when they're in the most danger and need to be quiet that Rory wants to talk about uh, Amy kissing the Doctor. Knobhead! Um, oh, God, that winds me up. But the Doctor calls, you want to talk about this now? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, again, you just think, fair question, but not now. Mm-hmm. Do, do the dangerous bit first, then ask. And the, the Doctor, the, the torch goes out, and after the Doctor's been said, it, it would have been you, it should have been you, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the torch goes out and the doctor says, can we go see the vampires now, please? <laughs> um, Amy gets dragged into the uh, this sort of ceremony room and because uh, uh, Cavallari was... Uh, I've been calling it Calvieri, it's Cavallari. Um, Cavallari's uh, sort of wise to the psychic paper trick. Um, the doctor and Rory climb up through the hatch. Rory's got a little torch with him because it's so dark and the doctor pulls a big UV lamp out of out of his pocket saying it's portable sunlight. And this is the point where I realised this episode just isn't for me because Rory looks at the, this sun lamp that the doctor's got and says, yours is bigger than mine. And the doctor says, let's not go there. And I didn't even chuckle. Even the knob jokes are lacklustre in this episode. Ah, see, that did get a laugh from me, but then instantly that laugh turned to awkwardness because Charlie sat there and looked at me and went, why is that funny? <laughs> <laughs> and I just went, he's just got a bigger lamp, honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bigger lamp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and we sort of get the Amy going through the process, Cavallari's give, giving her a bit of an interrogation. Um Amy says she's from Ofsted, which was mildly amusing. Um Cavallari gets her fangs out and bites Amy. And then, amidst all this, can't find his wife in a house full of vampires. Rory's fretting about cancelling his wedding and losing the deposit on the uh, on the village hall and and the salsa band. And it's just reinforcing the fact that he's a complete fucking wet wipe. Oh, he's just a he's just a melt. Yeah, and then the doctor finds the vampire corpse in the chest. Yeah, which is pretty creepy. Uh, how, how did uh, did Charlie have any reaction to that bit? No, mate. Sometimes I worry about what she doesn't react to. <laughs> you know? like, to, be fa- to be fair, mate, I can imagine you've woken up on mornings with Hangover looking like that. Yeah, probably. probably. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was praying, and I said this to Sharon quite a few times, and I think I mentioned it to you, Dan, away from recordings as well. I was praying with how much she loved Rose and how much she loved David Tennant. I was praying that at the, the, the season's endings that corresponded with those characters leaving full time. She would show a bit more emotion. And mm-hmm. thankfully there were tears. And I know it says that, that, that sounds bad. Cause I don't want my daughter to be upset. Look at me. I'm sorry. I'm happy when my daughter cries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I went downstairs and said to my missus, when, when she, like she shed a few tears when Rose left, I went downstairs and said, it's okay. She hasn't got a completely dark soul. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, I can, I can see that getting to her. Um, it is a very sad, uh, very sad ending. Um, and speaking of sad acts, uh, we get a bit more Rory because uh, uh. he, 
he has his dramatic little fit because the doctors there saying that all the bodies, uh, sorry, all the water in the bodies have been taken out, not just the blood, which mm-hmm. again is another indication that they're not just simple vampires, and that not everyone, not everyone survives the process. And Rory, this is actually quite well delivered by Arthur Darville. He's saying, you know what's dangerous about you? It's not that you make people take risks. It's that you make them want to impress you. You make it so that they don't want to let you down. You have no idea how dangerous you make people to themselves when you're around. It's not a bad point. No, I think that was really good. I think that was a brilliant brilliant bit of dialogue and delivered really well. I I criticise Rory a great deal. And some of the writing here is a bit on the wobbly side, to say the least. This bit, I think this was on the money. Yeah, it was. This is this is Rory's high point, easily. Mm-hmm. It's not a high, it's, it's not a high bar, but it's his high point. Um, but again, we, but we get, on the back of this, we get another creepy simultaneous vampire girl convergence, which again, which is is like uh, as Charlie so rightly put it, they're always creepy. Yes, the doctor fends them off with the UV thing. And now here is a an example of where this episode explains something that has already been explained. And we've we've already heard from Isabella that she gets taken to a room, she wakes up and her, and her skin hurt, and her skin hurts from sunlight. Mm-hmm. We've seen the corpses with the moisture drain from them. And it, that it's a, a process. A, a, so that implies conversion. And here we have Signora Cavallari explaining to Amy verbatim, just word for word, exactly what they're going to do. And they're saying, here's how it works. First, we drink you till you're dry. Then we fill you with our blood. And basically, if, if you wake up in the morning, you know, you keep going through this, and one morning you wake up and you, you're not human anymore, or you die. And then Amy says, if she, what if I survive? And she says, there are 10,000 husbands waiting for you in the water. That, that final line, creepy. Yes. The rest of the rest of the lines very well delivered. The exchange as a whole, apart from that last line, unnecessary. Yeah. The only good bit that comes of it is just after that when Amy kicks a, kicks a device that um, Signora Cavallari's got um, got in a petticoat, and we we get the first look at the the fish eddy prawn vampire weirdness underneath. Yeah, it weren't a good look. And again, it, it burst of a wall for Charlie, seeing the actual aliens. It, did, it didn't sit well with me. The vampires are scary because they're vampires. Yeah. They were, scared, they were scary in Curse of Fenric. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. No, there you go. I can, I can understand wanting to work in the venue, but vampires are undead. They can live underwater. They don't have to breathe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. Um, I mean, basically, from this, we find out a bit more uh, as the as the episode progresses about these these people. Well, not people; these these fish. Um, <laughs> uh, how, how do you pronounce it? A, a satur saturnine saturnine saturnine. Sorry, and that they're using perception filters to appear human. And as yeah. as you said, Dan, they got uh, thousands of these saturnines under the water. And they want to repopulate the Earth, starting with Venice, as their own, their own, you know, planet, because they haven't got their planet anymore. And they've arrived here through these cracks in time, and they're running from what she refers to as the silence. Yeah. 
mm. and just which which we've heard we've heard before because right from the this doctor's very first episode the whole big thing with the uh, the, the multi the uh, the pan dimensional multiform was uh, prisoner zero was silence will fall mm-hmm. um but before that did you clock the uh, the scene where they made Isabella walk the plank after she'd helped Amy out. Yes. I didn't necessarily mind it. It wasn't I got, great. I got Jaws vibes when she was saying that there's something touching her leg. Yeah, it was... There was a really great speech from, from Carlo saying, you know, so in memory of the children lost to the silence, the traitor is delivered to the arms of those she betrayed. And she's... Isabella walking this plank out saying, I'm Venetian, I can swim. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's not a great death scene because because it's Doctor Who and it's primetime BBC, there's no blood. Um, there's just a bit of bubbling of water and some very lacklustre uh, screams. And, and I, I, I'm not an actor. It's probably wrong of me to shit on somebody's acting, but it's not a great, it's not a great death scene. No. It could have been creepier, couldn't it? Yeah, it could. Um, but anyway, that, I just thought that was worth mentioning. It could have been um, creepier if she was killed in a vampire way. Perhaps yeah. we're coming back. We're, is, we seem to be uh, talking more and more about that turning point, don't we? We do, yeah. It, you know, if if it was exposure to sunlight because it just happened to be a cloudy day, or you know, if she'd have been further along the conversion process. Uh, although now all I've got in my head is exposing her to sunlight and letting her ashes fall into the water and then the, the little fish monster's coming up and getting the flakes like fish food. <laughs> like the koi in my dad's pond. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, th- th- this is the point now after that where things do start to rapidly come to an end and, and this is where I wonder if maybe some of it had to be condensed. Um, okay. Because it, it's quite a rapid r- wrap-up. Um, I'm not saying this needed to be a two-parter. I'm quite glad it wasn't. But the first thing I noticed, and this is the first face-off between the villain and the Doctor. The Doctor sat in, sat on her throne, and he wolf whistles at her. Mm. Which is just... I'm glad they never did that again, to my knowledge. Because it was just a bit odd. And she's, she kind of hits on the Doctor as well, doesn't she? And, and, and insinuates that, well, she wants his help to repopulate earth in in their likeness and basically saying you know why don't you do this with me and the doctor's egg and, it, and, they, and they, it's almost there are these kind of really weird alien to fish to vampire to time lord sort of sexual undercurrents going on here i think especially yeah. when, he, when he turns around and he says it will never work i'm from gallifrey and you're a fish it's like okay so is she thinking it would work I mean, well, you know, why not have a Time Lord on your side? Yeah. Why not give it a go? Um, and it just put me in mind of, uh, of sensational Sherry trying to seduce the Ultimate Warrior. Um, <laughs> yeah. God, there, there's, a, there's a reference. There is. Um, why? I didn't think we'd be talking about the Ultimate Warrior on today's show, but there we go. No, no did I. Um, but th- this whole thing, you know, she's saying about, you know, um, about she he's the owner of the psychic paper and a refugee like her. And the doctor suggests sort of very almost Hannibal Lecter, a quid pro quo, an answer for an answer. And he asks about the perception filter. And anybody who's watched Doctor Who, the tenant era of Doctor Who, knows what a perception filter is. 
Uh-huh. They've mentioned it before. It's like you can see it, but you don't want to see it. Now, this is a slight variation on that in that it's manipulating. But they, they, they feel the need to go into this whole wee woo beep boop thing of it doesn't change your features, but manipulates the brain waves of the person looking at you. But seeing one for the first time in, say, a mirror, the brain doesn't know what to fill with the gap with, so it leaves it blank. And while, yes, that's cool and explains the lack of reflection, I kind of didn't need it explaining. No. But... It, but it leads to a bit of humour saying, why can we see your big teeth? Um, and she's saying self-preservation overwrites the image. Um, subconscious perceives the threat and tries to alert the conscious brain. Okay, again, I didn't necessarily need it. No. And again, those you said too much um, unnecessary wee-wee beep-beep. To me, I'm sat there going, okay, I, that kind of makes sense. I get that. But the same as you, I didn't need to hear it at all. It wasn't necessary. I had to pause it because Charlie looked at me and went, what? Yeah. And I, I had to explain to her what that sort of meant. We've, we've seen Amy kick the thing that's making her look the way she does. Mm-hmm. That, that's enough. That device means look human. Yeah. That device that's, not that's working all you need. look you fish. That is all you need. Yeah, it, it, again, it's trying to do too much and explain too much. And, you know, this exchange, he asks where Isabella is, but it's her turn. She asks where he's from. Gallifrey, you should be in a museum or a mausoleum. Okay, you're trying to trying to get him on side. That's a bit, mm. bit off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he asks why they're there. They ran from the silence. This quick-fire exchange is good. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, I like it, this. It, this this tells people what they need to know clearly, succinctly, very quick. Just get it done. And she says, "Why are you here?" She asks, "Why are you here?" And he says, "Wedding present." <laughs> um, <laughs> and the doctor asks the silence, and she gives the whole thing. You know, there were cracks, some tiny, some big as the sky. We saw worlds, people. We saw worlds, people, and through others, we saw silence and the end of all things. They fled through one of the cracks, and the whole planet was lost. And then she goes into the whole plot about how he can help make uh, Earth Saturnine Mark II and build a new society. The Doctor gets in real close to her and asks where Isabella is. And she says, she asks who and says, deserters must be executed, blah, blah, blah. And we get the whole, he's, he's a time lodge, he's a big fish, think of the children thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, uh, so this, apart from the unnecessary we will beat boop, this rapid fire exchange was, was okay. It was decent. I like the ending very much. I was just about to me, this is Matt Smith's probably strongest moment in the episode. Yeah. I because Matt, Matt Smith does a fantastic line in being calm, but furious. He has this, this cold anger to him that comes through so, so well. And he did it right from the off in Beast Below. That that nobody human has anything to say to me today. Yeah. That line. And he does it here. And he said, what was he? Sorry, I'm just finding my notes here. Cavallari says she, she'll she bend the heavens to save her race while he philosophizes. The doctor says it ends today. I will tear the house of Cavallari down stone by stone. And just very, Carlo comes up behind him and puts his hands in and just goes, take your hands off me, Carlo. And as he walks out, he says, do you know why you didn't know Isabella's name? As if, you know, if she'd just shown a bit of remorse, 
mm. and a or bit compassion. of or compassion, repentance, anything redeeming. The doctor would have would have spared our savior somehow. Yeah, and it comes back to I think the comment that they made not long before this because Rosanna's saying she's got to save her race and that self-preservation kind of element to her, you know, w- with all of her sons and f- you know the future husbands for uh, the girls they're creating and so on. It- it's a self-preservation thing. She's trying to save her race. So yeah. if, if other people or other races have to die for that to happen, I'm not saying I agree with that, of course. However, if that's the only way or the way they have decided to go, and then she still showed some remorse about the people who suffered because of this, then yeah, it makes a difference. But the fact that it was a case of, okay, this is what we need to do to save our race. It's not just self-preservation anymore because there is no remorse with regards to the people who have perished in, in, in her pursuit of doing that. It's mm-hmm. very much a case of you're just fucking evil. It's just, it's genocide. Because you're killing another race to, you know, to to further yourself or for whatever reason yeah. you, you may well have. If you if that happened and you were like, I'm sorry, this has got to happen, but I've got to look after my own. I'm not saying it's right still, but it's still a slightly different discussion, isn't it? It's not right, but it's on some level relatable. Mm. And the one thing that stood out to me is that nobody in this whole conversation, in this whole episode, ever ever even considers, what if we could coexist? Yes. And normally the Doctor will try and find some way of doing that. Even going back to some of the straightforward as when we were looking at um, John Pertwee, we didn't cover the actual story because we looked at the Sea Devils for this season of ours. But there's references back to another story where the Doctor tries to help people to coexist and it doesn't work out so even going back as far as john pertwee that is kind of the doctor's mindset and that's what i love about this character and it's in it's this doctor's mindset as well later in this series because a a similar thing happens and i do believe it's the same enemies as the john pertwee episode because it's the it's the silurians yeah okay yeah um so yeah it's (laughs) I suppose they just get caught up in it and it's vampires and people have died and it's all a bit, maybe a bit far beyond it and everybody can see the writing on the wall, but it's very unlike the doctor to not even try. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes. It's not, it's uh, yeah. Again, but again, it's, it's another element to another character that's not quite in step with the rest of with the, with the character as we know it. Is it them finding this doctor's rhythm and finding the voice? Is it just the way this episode was directed? Is it just the way this episode was written? Is it a combination of all of the above? Yeah, I kind of put it down to writing more so than anything, I think, because it's a continuity thing, isn't it? It's yeah. it's what this character is, and it's why I love Doctor Who so much, because it's not just good versus evil. We must wipe out the evil. It To me, it's it's good versus evil, but let's see if we can help before there is killing and i love that and and the fact that the doctor doesn't like guns and all this that you know he's a superhero but with his own set of rules to try and get things done here 
it's almost like he doesn't play by his own rules completely, which I, I don't know. It kind of takes away from what I love about the character of the Doctor throughout the generations. Yeah, I can see that. It, it's it's a bit more on the Colin Baker side of things from what I've seen. Okay, yeah. That's, that's a very um, good sign. In that they've taken a bit of that away, but it's also not in step with with the rest of the Matt Smith episodes, really. Like I say, it's, it's it's a weird inconsistency for this for this particular episode. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is the writing mm-hmm. um, because from from there we see Cavallari sort of you know ordering her troops to arms, you know, and the perception filters slipping and it's scaring the humans in in, in attendance. But then we get a whole thing of the Doctor figuring out the plan that we've effectively already been given. That we already yeah. know, and it's, it's very odd to have the Doctor catching up to us. Yes, it comes back to the way that 99% of the time, the Doctor is the cleverest person in the room, and that includes the people in our front rooms watching where they are. Yeah, well, so we get a recap of of how the... Uh, um, I don't know what to call it, I don't know what they're called, the, the, the fish vampires, the... The moisture suckers, the, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Go with moisture suckers. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we get a recap of how they got there. The doctor gets to do a mildly amusing, stop talking, brain thinking, and, and shutting up the people in attendance. And then Amy recalls the 10,000 offspring in the water. It's like, well, yeah. I, the first time I watched this, I tweeted that when they said it. It, it makes sense. They've got 10,000 sons in the water. Yeah. And the making the making females of the species. And again, the other redeeming factor of this is that the doctor sums it up quite amusingly, saying, um, um saying no, she's got ten thousand children swimming in the canals waiting for mum to make them some compatible girlfriends. Ugh. Mm, yeah, that's a bit And it is it is a bit ugh. It's like being set up on a blind date by your mum or your nan or whatever. And finding out it's your cousin. <laughs> Well, I suppose that happened to you. <laughs> no, I just I just wanted to try and relate to you being in Gloucester. Dude. <laughs> Gloucester and Stride are different places, okay? <laughs> or the Forest of Dean, I should say. I know some nice people from Stride. Get as yeah, many, many drugs as you like from there. Oh, lovely. Good to know. <laughs> we get the big, well, we get what's supposed to be a big dramatic scene, don't we? Mm. With the uh, with the attack and saying you know oh the people upstairs and noise like there's nobody upstairs and and shock horror very predictably it's the it's the moisture suckers um, who are somehow attacking the second floor because apparently they can fly as well because why not yeah. the, 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 they've decided that these moisture sucking fish aliens can also fly or climb up the walls do you know what you're bang on the money there. I didn't even notice that that was weird, but now we're talking about it. I'm like, yeah, why all of a sudden can they fly? It's bollocks. Yeah, that bit's bollocks. The, this, this, say, that. This, this says to me that it was supposed to be a vampire story, but they felt the need to add more in to make it different. And and we get we get horny we get we get fucking horny doctor um, because you know he, he sonics them. The perception filters removed. Also, do they all have devices, or at least that an extension of of Signora Cavallari's? device that's not ex- again i don't need everything explained but it'd be nice if while they're talking about the device just say oh it helps the girls as well yeah again that makes zero sense 
Because then, yeah. then, then they're flying fish. Yeah. And we get horny doctor saying, blimey, fish from space have never been so buxom. Like that was that was very out of character. Yeah, a bit pervy. Yeah, dirty old man. Um, <laughs> a tear, Sarah Jane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, stop it. Um, if people don't listen to the outtakes to our episodes, they're not going to know what we're referring to all the time well, now. Well, I'm, the outtakes. Well, no, I'm kind of, I'm kind of okay with people not knowing. <laughs> yeah, in fact, don't listen to the outtakes <laughs> no, and don't. just be confused. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we, and the thing is, because all this makes no sense, and and we've not been given any real reason to give a shit about the character, even though it's been quite well done, quite well performed with what little has been given. Guido blows up his house with the gunpowder that he referenced that he had before. And yells, "We are Venetians!" Blows his house to smith and the and the, and the moisture-sucking ladies to smithereens. And I, I felt, I felt, and I felt nothing. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the same. I, I didn't think that was sad. Or and you do get those characters that do sacrifice themselves, and you do feel a bit if they're written in a certain way. I didn't get that with this particular individual. I felt more sorry for him when his daughter died. I yeah. thought that was that that was sad because obviously you know. It, it, it's your kid and whatnot. Him dying himself, I'm a bit like, yeah, okay, not really that bothered. Um, which makes me heartless, maybe, I don't know. But nah. it does kind of explain a little, almost a little loophole that happens later on at the very, very end. But we're going to get to that in a minute or two, I think, Dan, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are, because now it's, we get another decent moment from uh, from Matt Smith saying that he wants to stop them on his own and, and sending Amy and Rory back to the TARDIS. And Amy protests and he, he just he shouts at her, saying, we do not discuss this. I tell you to do something and you do it. I like he's, shouty Matt Smith. Yeah, he's brilliant. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's just, it, he's, it's authority. It's like, I, it's, we saw it with Jodie Whittaker as well, actually, pulling rank on the companions. Oh. This is, you know, the whole, it's not a flat team structure speech that Jodie Whittaker gave. It, yeah. it, 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 it's the same thing. Um, and Amy, you know, has a huff, and, and Rory thanks him, and the Doctor gives a really sarcastic "You're welcome." I wonder if it works so well with Matt Smith because of his age, because he's the youngest actor to have played the Doctor, especially up to this point. I don't know if Jodie Whittaker was younger than him; I'm not sure, but he's definitely the youngest, or if not one of. Mm. And he does have this kind of. I mean, I mean, you can be young and look older, of course you can, but he is very young looking as well and he's got this kind of bumbling almost comedy factor to him and he does look a bit odd and he's a bit bundly with his arms and his limbs and all that sort of stuff and then all of a sudden he gets this this fire to what he's saying and this Mm. like you said this 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 authority in his voice and this anger and so on i wonder if it works so well because it is so light and uh, light and dark do you know what i mean i wonder because it is like such a such a flip from how we see him in other scenes as well potentially yeah jody whittaker is kind of a bit a bit kooky a bit laughy a bit jokey a bit uh, and obviously jody whittaker is a very pretty young lady as well not saying that matt's a pretty young lady but (laughs) but she's a she's a very pretty young lady she looks quite youthful in, in her features as well so when she gets very authoritative i wonder if it hits home more than if say a Pertwee or a Hartnell or even a Capaldi does it because they are older and maybe have sterner features. 
Yeah, you're spot on. It's absolutely you're absolutely right. It's it's the contrasting with how the character normally is and how they normally play it. And as soon as the um, it's like it's like at school if you have like a really nice sort of friendly teacher who's sort of pretty easy going, but as soon as they put a bit of bass in the voice, oh shit! You yes. know, you've got that moment of oh my god, okay, we need to shut up now. Um, and yeah, it, it works really well. And then we see. Amy and Rory go away, Francesco goes after him and then does a massive belly flop into the water. Mm. That wasn't a good dive, bless him. It was not, I bet that hurt. Yeah, it really did. Um, and we get one of your pet hits right after that, and it's the doctor just there in in, in Signora Cavallari's chair. Yeah, hi, hi, why, hi, you know, it, uh, just walking in and out. Uh, okay, in one hand I can see because the vampires who were, you know, the, the girls in, from in the school, they're the ones who I suppose have met the doctor on occasion when he's gone in and they've almost guarded the, the, the school, the building, yeah. and they're no longer around. They've been blown up. So on one hand, I can kind of see maybe it's not as well guarded and everyone's running around a bit frantically at this stage because we're coming right to the end of the episode. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. So maybe they've got their eye off the ball, so to speak. And the doctor can just kind of walk in without being detected. But I'm not a fan of it. No, it's not great. And, and the other thing you can, I suppose, can sort of put on that is that the seeing the true form of Cavallari's scared the humans off. Yeah. Um, that's another thing. But again, you don't see them leaving until the device gets set off. It's until after this exchange. So for all the for all the again for all the good dialogue in this this quick exchange, it's still it's, it's wasted because there's so much around it that's utter bollocks. Mm. You know, for all Cavallari saying, you know, he's too late, but admires the determination to save one city. It's hard to believe this is the same man that let an entire race turn to cinders and ash. Like that's that is a burn. Pardon yeah, the pun. That's, yeah, that that was that was severe, wasn't it? Considering the, the history. Yeah, but then the doctor sort of counters that by telling her that the girls are gone. <laughs> you know, by informing her of the death of all this and that everything she's doing is for for shit, basically. Mm. And it, it ends with. Uh, Signora Cavallari just going out and the doctor pleading with her saying there's 200,000 people in this city and she just sort of quite spitefully says so save them yeah it, uh, there's a few issues I have with the ending as well because is, is it is it the genocide aspects from all side all sides kind of um, we get uh, ultimately Rosanna uh, kills herself i guess her perception filter at this point is working she knows the game's up there's not much she can do going forward because the doctor as you said dan has kind of told her that the girls are gone so everything she's been building towards is is now null and void i suppose and earlier in the episode she was warned by her son that her her other sons in the water don't recognize her with the perception filter on so when she jumps into the water, still looking the way that she, she does in her, in her human-stroke-vampire form, they rip her to shreds, eat her up, whatever. So she's kind of killed herself by, by, by that method. What happens to all, all the other fish-vampire efforts that are in the water, then? Because they're, they're, left, they're left to starve to death. Right, okay. Um, Pretty much. 
But that doesn't make much sense to me because... Okay, first of all, the Doctor's leaving a whole race there to die, which is very un-Doctor-like. That's the biggest issue I have with that. Also, this is a intelligent race, yeah. as been shown by certain members of that family, who have already built up this, this way of doing things to create these wives for the sons and so on. Who's to say one or two of them don't get a bright spark themselves and think, do you know what? If we nip out the water and just have a little look around when it's dark and devise a plan of their own there's no i'm not obviously they're being left to starve and they're not portrayed in the episode in any way capable of that they're just bubbles in the water that eat whatever falls in so to speak but the doctor doesn't know that's for certain that's going to happen does he and this is why it's bollocks this is this is why this you know for all the criticisms i've given it so far when, when i compared it to mama in the end and sort of the reveal being the end of it that this ending is is shit there's so many plot holes. The doctor, for one, the doctor's not going to commit a genocide or shouldn't commit a, ge a, a genocide. Mm. Yeah, he's leaving 10,000 fish monsters, well, not monsters, fish, you know, mo moisture suckers to die. Mm -hmm. uh, any other incarnation of the doctor, and indeed other versions of this doctor in this series, don't leave people to, don't leave things to die. They at least try make the attempt to redeem or save. Mm-hmm. The whole thing of why don't they just get out of the water and do what the do what their mother and, and their brother's been doing suggests that to me that they lack the intelligence to do that or the ability. In which case, who's to say that that, like I said, will that evolve into them? Will it will it come about naturally? Is it a case of evolution? Are and again, they, self preservation. I would yeah. say. Yeah. Or. Do you know what's even more sinister? Mm -hmm. They said that the children fled through the crack and only the males survived. What if not that many survived and it was kind of repopulated off one mother? Okay, yeah. They could be incest fish monsters. <laughs> they could be incest fish monsters. Playing at, Gal pay, at Gallifest coming up. <laughs> incest fish monsters. <laughs> oh. incest, incest moisture suckers. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just there's it's, there's just so many holes, and it's such bollocks. And the, the, but even even down to she takes her clothes off. Mm -hmm. She's not physically wearing the perception filter. No. So why is it, is it a projector? Because that's the only thing that makes sense, that it'll be projecting onto her the same way it presumably projects onto the girls. It, it doesn't uh, make any sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it explains certain things too much and other things not enough. And it's just... And, the, and above all that, we have to sit through the shitty fucking fight between Rory and Francesco. Oh, where he's using a broom and he, oh, yeah. And again, that that almost goes for, again, I think it's the character of Rory here just doesn't work because he is a bit of an idiot, but he's, he's brave when it comes to looking after Amy in certain scenarios. And here he's, uh, I suppose, 
it's so on the nose with that because he's being brave in fighting the vampire guy who by the way in this fight scene is in direct sunlight just so we're aware and that's cloudy oh well, um, the, it's the still doctor, sunshine it's still daytime the doc no because the, the device is going on the device is going off and it's um there's cloud all over the city so it's not direct sunlight this no, it's because we've already fucking seen it. I'm, cl- I'm, I'm clinging on to the one little bit that makes sense because I'm watching the biggest fucking dripping Doctor Who have a broom slash sword fight with a giant fish monster who's only attacking him because Rory made a your mum joke. <laughs> yeah, Charlie sat there as well. <laughs> when, he said, when he said that, he turned around and goes, did you say something about mummy? Charlie sat there and literally went, ha, your mum. <laughs> <laughs> See that that from Charlie's funnier than than the dialogue, and then you know they're making quips about about him stinking of fish, and him saying, "Well, I'm hardly going to smell of cheese and biscuits." Mm. None, none of none of these lines land. It's not funny. It's not like the it's not like the the fun sort of gentleman sword fight that the Doctor and the Master had in in the Sea Devil serial. Mm, you know this yeah. is this is this is even worse than the bizarre grappling match that they had in um, the Unearthly Child serial. Yeah. This is probably the worst fight we've ever covered on this on this show. Oh, I reckon it's up there, definitely. It's bollocks. And then Amy blows him up with a with a mirror laser. Mm. Yes. And then and then Rory proved himself fickle again because Rory's made a fucking cross sign, which they're not vampires, you dick, first of all. And Amy's calling him out on it, and then he bitches about being reviewed. And she kisses him, tells him to shut up, and says, "Now we go help the doctor." Rory, Rory heals, and he, he just—he really does follow his boner. Yeah. Uh, okay. God, so, that, I, I've given this enough credit. I'm, I'm just going off now. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, uh, before we conclude our uh, our review of this episode, then. Uh, I mean, there's nothing else we need to touch upon, first of all, is there? Um, there's the fairly bad green screen. Um, as the Doctor sonics the uh, the device on top of the house. Okay, that's, yeah. That, that's, I'm just drawing, that's pretty crap. Um, before she dies, uh, before she kills herself, um, the Doctor does try to stop her, in fairness, and Rosanna gives him a big... Uh, a big speech about one city to save an entire species. Um, and he says, you know, you can't change time, you mourn, but you live. He did it. And she asks if his conscience can handle the guilt of another dead race. That was a great line. Yeah. yeah. That um, but they're, they're just, the, I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your toes, but the, the last bit, she's jumped into the water and eaten alive by her own children who were then left to either starve or cannibalize each other. And right after that, we see the clear-up starting in Venice, and the Doctor's just quite cheerily talking about taking Amy and Rory to Ledworth Registry Office. Mm. It's it's quite jarring how they go from the, these very dramatic, dangerous... I, mean, I, I like the way the Doctor can be light-hearted when things have been accomplished, but I think it's a very difficult thing to write and a very difficult thing to get correct. Yeah. And here, it's almost like they go for that light-heartedness of the Doctor's character, which we see a lot with Tennant. Uh, and Eccleston as well is quite good at the sort of big cheesy grin and whatever. Mm. Um, here, it doesn't quite land for me. No, it's, it, the Doctor's just 
willingly or, or wittingly or unwittingly can, can uh, contributed to a genocide uh-huh. to the end of a race. Any version of the doctor is going to be torn up about that, especially one post time war. Imagine if this was David Tennant. Imagine the, the sadness in his face and the way that would be played. And this one is just like, here we go. We're off on another adventure. Yeah. Well, not even that. Let's go to the registrar. Let's go get you two married, you know, after all that stuff. Yeah. And then and, and another complete 180 after he's been lamb- after he, uh, the doctor's called him out on his bullshit before. Rory's saying he's, he's fine with him just being dropped off where they found him. Mm-hmm. But Amy asks him to stay. And the doctor, and the doctor says it's fine with him. Amy goes to put the kettle on and, you know, she, she does that line that I mentioned before, got a, got a spaceship, got a boy, her work here is done. Yeah, yeah. And she swans yeah, in I'm... as if she owns the place. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, right, playing devil's advocate then, okay? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> From my standpoint, I, I, can, I can pretty much pinpoint what I disliked about this and very much so what I did like about this, okay? If we literally excluded the character of Rory, there's ways around anything Rory does in this episode, there's ways around it. He either just simply mm-hmm. doesn't have to be there, or you can have a background character filling in. And you, that means you cut out all the nonsense with Amy, the sulky little bitch boy attitude and so on. And it remains just about vampires. Would this have worked? Potentially, yes. I mean, that's two fairly big changes, granted, but it is only two alterations. Would this have worked? To be fair, that's like saying this would have worked except for two things, the script and the plot. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I might might be taking that to a a bit of a comedic extreme. Uh, But no, you're right. Removing all the, the Rory Bitch Boy stuff and keeping it a vampire story, I would have liked it a lot more. Um, there was, but there is a lot of work to do in the ways the characters are written. If Rory's not there, then you lose uh, you lose one piece of, of really good dialogue and, and sort of important character point. But again, is it necessary? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, taking Rory out, keeping it vampires. Like I said, less is more. You know, it didn't need to be moisture sucking fish monsters from outer space falling through a cracking time. It, it, it could have been, it could have been, it could have been, the vampires can be aliens still. Just have them be, uh, um, oh, what were they called? Was it Hemovars? Oh, um, from a previous episode we did? Yeah, that was uh, Fenric as well, wasn't it? It, it, could, it could have been a revisit of Fenric. It could have been the Hemovars. Could have been a throwback to them, yeah. Yeah. Make it a Hemovar story. You can still have them falling through time. You can still have them trying to take over the world. You don't need the big bad of Hen- of Fenric because Fenric was just controlling them. He didn't create them. Mm. They can still stay under the water. Okay, so, well, there you go. Look, there you go. We, we've come up with these... I've put forward these two points that uh, Yelkow say it's only two things if we change these two things, but they are quite big things. But in literally three minutes' time, you've put forward a very clever... Uh, alternative that also throws back to classic who, which I think Matt Smith's doctor probably could have used having been five, six episodes in maybe. Yeah. And especially after, so you've already had a throwback with the Daleks. Yes. You've had 
a more recent throwback with the Weeping Angels. But yep. why not? Why not have classic villain, modern villain, sort of niche classic villain? Yeah, like literally a literally a classic Who throwback because the Daleks are Doctor Who throughout, and yeah. the Angels are a throwback, but it's for new Who. This is very much niche classic Who, touching right back to the eighties. Yeah, you think you know you have the older you have the classic Who fans thinking, holy shit, the Hema was yes, oh, br- brilliant. And even if you don't do it in the best way, then you've still got a bit of goodwill. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just uh, uh, being as nice as I can about it and, and as, as constructive in my criticism as I can be, I think this is guilty of just trying to do too much. And uh, because it tries to do so much, it doesn't allow it to, it doesn't allow itself to do any one thing particularly well. There are high points that I've mentioned before, which are uh, 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 Cavalieri's performance bits of, the, of Matt Smith's performance that one moment with Rory. Um, you know, so there's, there's a couple of bits to, to sort of grab onto, but so much of it doesn't land and just ultimately frustrates me because it, it's bland and there is a potential for a good story in there. That's the big thing for me. It's not just dire. There are good moments and it could have been better. If it was crap from beginning to end, I can accept that. It's just not for me. If and it was, if it was comedically shit, mm-hmm. if it was, if it was uh, the Candyman in Happiness Patrol, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd have liked it because there's more comedy value in it. There's barely even any comedy value in this. It's just frustration. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. I agree. Uh, okay, then. So, it, it effectively, it, it, is that your summary for the episode? Then, yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to talk about this anymore. No, that's fair enough. I, I, I agree. I agree. I don't think it was, uh, in my mind, it's not as bad as you sort of comically put forward to me from the first moment. I but may it, have been, I may have been building it up slightly. And to be honest, it's not the worst thing we're going to watch this series. Okay, interesting. Because that, <laughs> because that's coming in three episodes' time for our Christmas special. Oh, right, yeah. See, I've got no memories of that whatsoever, so that's going to be interesting. Yeah, okay. Um, (laughs) Right then. So, I mean, I I suppose I'll quickly give Charlie's very brief summary because she knows I was going to talk about this on the podcast, so she clams up and goes a bit shy. As I said at the beginning, Mrs. David Tennant, getting used to Matt Smith now, likes Damie, wasn't keen on Rory. Vampires are scary. Fish monsters are not. Um glad that it's moving on to something different she was glad that this was not because we just watched the two-parter beforehand she was she said she's glad this has not got another episode smart girl hmm. smart charlie yeah <laughs> can't follow with any of that blatantly gets that from her mum but there we go um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then dan what are we doing next week so next week is our second guest of the series. Uh, we've, got, we've got Sarah coming on, who uh, you might know on Twitter as uh, at Turd Ferguson. Uh, she, uh, Sarah's been on uh, multiple episodes of, uh, of Unbooking the Territory with me and Rob. Uh, she's great to have on any podcast. Uh, she has selected her doctor, Peter Capaldi. Nice. And we will be looking at a two-parter, the Zygon Invasion and the Zygon Inversion. Interesting. Okay, I have memories of that. Believe it or not. Yeah, we're we're on a we're on a good little run for the next couple of weeks. Um, 
with with this two part from Capaldi and then uh, the the tenant episode that I picked, and then we go right back into the shit. I will look forward to it. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. Next week on the Doctor Who pod, uh, a little bit of Peter Capaldi, and it's guest week. We always love guest week on the show. Dan, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and all the other shows you're involved in online, please? Oh, go on then. You can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date, movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, uh, where we're in season two, looking at the first and last of professional wrestling with uh, with my good friend UTT Rob. Uh, it's always a good laugh. And we have a side project, Unbooking the Tankatory, where we follow the life and times, the ups and downs of the in-ring career of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, David Tank Abbott. Uh, you can find us on Twitter there at UTT Tank and just search Unbooking the Territory and Unbooking the Tankatory on your podcast provider. There we go. All brilliant stuff. Speaking of podcast providers, please go and follow the network that carries this show at SJP World Media. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts at SJP World Media. And it's the same handle on Twitter and Facebook as well at SJP World Media, where you get all the shows that the uh, the network carries. A lot of wrestling, uh, a little bit more time travel with Quantum Leap there as well, the Waiting Room podcast, uh, Murder in Mind as well, looking at another BBC TV show. There's so much stuff that it takes too long now for me to go through. When we first started the network, <laughs> I used to run through all the shows, but I can't do that anymore because we'd still be here tomorrow. Uh, and most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D R W H O P O D at the Doctor Who Pod. Uh, Capaldi, I enjoy. This is going to be good. It is, yeah. Um, it's one of Capaldi's. Um, in fact, part of this is one of Capaldi's finest hours for me. And yes. I, I can't. I we could literally spend two hours between the three of us talking about one part of this two-parter. Um, hopefully for everybody's sake, we don't because then we'll just be dissecting it word by word. But yeah, <laughs> I, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Okay. No worries. Dan, I'll speak to you next week, my friend. See you soon, buddy. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Oh, thank fuck that's over. I don't have to think about vampires of Venice again. <laughs>